If you have your Bible on you, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we're going to be in verses 33 through 37. We are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount called Great Expectations. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Um, when you find it, somebody say amen. Amen. Let's do this. Matthew 5, 33 through 37 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say to your church this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, our, our words have a way of getting us into trouble. Um, Bible is... Uh, pretty clear about that. Uh, a lot of us are pretty prone to speaking uh, before we think. There's a great story told about this uh, old uh, small town gossip. And uh, he, he finally decided that he wanted to repent of his sins. And so he went to the local pastor and he said to him, you know, I know I've said a lot of things I shouldn't have said over the years. I've heard a lot of people, shared a lot of misinformation. Is there anything that I can do um, to make amends? And the pastor said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to return home and I want you to come back with a pillow. And sure enough, the man ran to his house and he grabbed a pillow and he went back to the church and the pastor met him out on the porch of the church and and the man was uh, really excited because he thought man can it really be this easy to be forgiven and he stood on that porch and he handed the pastor um, his pillow and the pastor reached in his pocket and he pulled out a knife and he tore the pillow open uh, end from end and when he did he turned it inside out and the pillow was full of feathers and because it was a windy day, uh, the feathers were strewn and blown all over the place. They went into the fields uh, surrounding the church. Some of them caught up in the wind, went out for miles. And the pastor looked at the parishioner and he said, you know, if, if you want to be forgiven for this mistake, just go and grab all of these feathers and put them back into the pillowcase. And, uh, and the man said, well, that's impossible. And the pastor said, well, so it is with the damaging words that you've already spoken. You can't unsay the things that you have said, but you can change how you speak from this point on. Our words have a way of getting us into trouble. I think we're all guilty of uh, making promises that we haven't kept. Promises to God, promises to ourselves, promises to each other. Most of us, except for maybe Steve Turner, are guilty of talking too much and doing too little. We all have feathers that we have strewn to the wind. I mean, I, I certainly know I do. The problem with making promises and breaking promises is that it leads us to cower. When we make promises and break promises, it leads us to cower. Do y'all know what the word cower means? Cow to cower means like to hide. 
to crouch down, to kind of to, to make ourselves low. Let me explain to you. Let me give you an example of how I think broken promises lead us to cower. So when Bethany and I lived in Wilmington uh, for several years, we rented, uh, I was serving a church there, and we rented a double-wide trailer that was just like a couple of uh, miles from the church I served. And we rented it from a pretty great couple at the church uh, named Mike and Lynn Taylor. So we rented the Taylor's trailer. That's what I'm saying. And it, uh, our rent was $375 a month. Um, that's what we were supposed to, say, to, to pay each month um, to stay there. And um, the truth is, on uh, the salary that I was making at that time, it was tough for us always to, to have that amount. It was tough for us to always pay our rent. Now, the tailors were incredibly gracious to us in that. Like, they never made us feel, feel guilty. Um, but what we would do sometimes is, is if we missed uh, a series of months, like let's say we missed two or three months in a year, then when our tax refund check would come in, we would make up the difference. So let's say we get to the end of the year, we missed three months, we had them close to $1,200, we would just cut them a check for $1,200. And like I said, they were great. They never went, they were glad we were at the church, they were glad they were serving us in that way, they were very gracious to us. And yet, still, on the months that I was unable to pay them, when I would see them at church, I would avoid them. Like I, I, I would kind of cower away from them because I was embarrassed. I knew that we had made an agreement and I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain. And so I felt guilty and I felt shame. And church, when we feel guilt and shame, we cower, we hide, we avoid um, both people and God. And I, I think we're like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden you know, trying to cover up our own nakedness. Or uh, we're like you all at the Walmart trying to hide from that old friend of yours you saw from high school, like ducking behind lanes, you know. Listen, they saw you. Just go say hi to them. That's what, it's not going to hurt anything. You know, you don't need to be, they've lost some hair and gained some weight too. It's not, it's not a big deal, nothing to worry about. You know, one side effect of the cycle of promise-making and promise-breaking is cowering. Making promises leads to breaking promises. Broken promises lead to shame. Shame leads us to cower, and cower severs, severs relationship. Let me say that again. Making promises leads to breaking promises. Broken promises lead to shame. Shame leads to cowering. And cowering severs relationships. This is what I mean. If you avoid a person long enough, they will go away. And if you avoid God long enough, he will go away. Now, I'm not saying that he is going to stop pursuing you or stop speaking to you or stop seeking you. He won't. But you can choose to remain in hiding. And I, I fear that many of you have. For a lot of us, I think our spiritual lives are marked by a series of highs and lows, of ups and downs, of closeness and cowering. 
You know, it's like when things are going good and we feel like we're living righteously, we feel close to God. But when we feel like we're making bad decisions and disobedient, we feel like we're far from God. But to live in that way is to live according to the law. The good news of the gospel is that our relationship with God isn't based on our righteousness, but it's based on his. You know, because of the cross, intimacy with God is available to us at all times. Because of Christ's power, we never have to cower. His presence is supposed to be our refuge even in the midst of the storms, even in the midst of our shame. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was trying to teach his followers uh, a new way. Uh, Certainly in the text that we just read, a new way with words. And if we break this text down using the method that I taught you a couple of weeks ago, um, what Stacen refers to as the transforming triad, then it would break down in this way. Okay, Uh, first, uh, this text talking about the traditional form of piety Jesus speaks to. It's the idea that if you make a vow uh, with God uh, using God's name, you better keep it. And then the sin cycle that is spoken to is the cycle of making promises and breaking promises. Um, Vows uh, lead consistently to dishonesty. And then the transforming initiative, relatively simple. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Focus on telling the truth. Jesus is essentially saying here, church, if you want to end the relational roller coaster in terms of your relationship with God, or your relationship with other people, then stop making vows altogether. And when you say yes, mean yes. And when you say no, mean no. You know, guarantees aren't necessary in the kingdom of God because in his kingdom, the people of God should always do what they say they're gonna do. There is no need for promises in heaven. Now, before we move on, I want to say this, and I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Um, One of the ways that my perspective is changing uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in this teaching as we work through this series, Great Expectations, is uh, it's, it's what I talked about back then. I really believe the more that I read this text, it moves away from condemnation and towards freedom. And this was confirmed in me by my friend Larry Israel. Larry and I were talking to my office a couple of weeks ago, and and Larry said, you know, since um, the day that I stood up here and read the whole Sermon on the Mount word for word, he said, he's like, I've listened to the Sermon on the Mount in my car like seven different times in seven different translations. And he's like, I'm seeing and feeling what you're talking about. He's like, more than seeing the judgment, more than experiencing the condemnation. He's like, I'm seeing the freedom, and I'm hearing the challenge. Church, the more that I read it, the more that I believe that Jesus is much more concerned with the kingdom that he is trying to build than with the sins that he's trying to condemn. I think more than just trying to like condemn you know, us for our lust or for our anger or for our dishonesty, he's like trying to build a kingdom of people who have moved beyond those things. He's trying to, to build a kingdom filled with overcomers. This is what I mean. Just because you had struggled with anger don't mean you have to struggle with anger. Just because you had struggled with lust doesn't mean you have to struggle with lust. Just because you had struggled with dishonesty doesn't mean that you have to struggle with dishonesty. 
We cannot pick up the feathers and put them back into the pillow. That is absolutely true. But we can leave here different people than we came in. We can allow the Sermon on the Mount, we can engage with it and allow Jesus to change us from the inside out, to reshape the way that we use our words, to be more careful in how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. You know, for me, one of the most important cues about this, that I really think this sermon is meant to be read as more with freedom than with condemnation, is that when the Pharisees heard the teachings of Jesus, they were offended. But when followers of Christ heard his teachings, they were moved by them. And so as we look through Matthew 5 through 7, all of it, I pray, church, that we would be more moved by his words than when we would find ourselves offended by them. Now, I absolutely love the reasons that Jesus gives in this text for why we shouldn't make oaths, why we shouldn't make promises. I, I think they're brilliant. I mean, they're relatively, they're relatively simple um, but, but they're pretty heavy. And um, so, so let's talk, uh, talk about a few of them. First, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 34 through 35, he says this, talking about again, this is why you shouldn't make promises. This is why you shouldn't make, make oaths. I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of of the great king. First reason that Jesus gives his followers for not making oaths or not making promises is because God is omnipresent. He says God is everywhere. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul tells us that God is over all, he is in all, and he works through all. The other day I was driving home um, from Iams um, and I had Langston and Riggs in the car. And as we're riding back, we've been over there playing. And as soon as we get on the interstate, Langston and Riggs are, are my twin um, boys. They're six. And Langston is sitting right behind me in his car seat. And Langston says, um, hey, Dad, um, is God real? And so uh, and he's six. I'm like, what? And so I'm thinking, okay, how am I supposed to respond to this question? Uh, and so uh, I say to him, I was like, uh, Langston, I'm going to be as honest with you as I know how. Uh, truth is, I don't know. I said, I, I have spent my whole life pursuing him. I have experienced him in a million different ways. I said, but there are a lot of people in the world who don't believe he exists. And I was like, I want you to experience him for yourself. I want you to find him for yourself or I want him to find you uh, himself. And so while I'm talking, uh, kind of sounding foolish, my son Riggs is all the way in the back, and Riggs kind of speaks up out of nowhere, and, and he goes, Dad, that's ridiculous. I'm like, all right. He goes, uh, he says, Dad, that's ridiculous. He's like, of course God's real. He goes, uh, I see him everywhere. He said, he goes before me, he stands behind me, he walks beside me, he's always with me. He goes, even a few months ago, I have no idea where this came from. He goes, a few months ago, you remember when we took the church man to Kentucky Splash? He's like, my car seat, I ended up on a road by myself. He's like, God sat with me the whole time. He was sitting right next to me. And I believe he was. Like, I hope they were talking about Legos or something. Like, I have no idea. But he's like, I know that God is with me. And because I believe he is, uh, he's with me, uh, I never have to be alone. 
I don't think we ever have to be uh, alone. You know, sometimes, church, the older we get, we have a tendency to lose sight of God's credentials. We really do. Like the more time that passes, we lose sight of his credentials. But God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's everywhere. And sometimes I need my son to remind me that. Now the thing that was happening in this text as we read it, like the context, is that um, the Jewish people had been told in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, not to swear falsely by God's name. The idea was that if you swear falsely in the name of God, or if you swear falsely by God, then you are going to be judged for, um, for those lies. And so what the Israelites did, and the way that they tried to work around this thing, is they thought, well, you know, if we swear by things that are important to God, Instead of swearing by, you know, God directly, then people will still know that we're serious. But if for some reason we don't hold up our end of the bargain, we won't be judged. We won't be held accountable um, to, uh, to judgment. It was the way that they chose to work around it. And so what they did is, it's what Jesus speaks to here, is they would say, well, I'm, I, I swear this, I make this oath in the name of heaven. Or I make this oath in, in the name of the earth. Or I make this promise um, by the city of Jerusalem. But it's like as they're talking, as they're making these promises, it's like I can hear Jesus speaking up from the back of the car going, hey, that's ridiculous. That whole concept, it, it's, it's silly. Do y'all not realize heaven, that's where God's throne is. The earth, it's his footstool. Jerusalem. It's his city. He is over all those things and he is in all those places. And so you can't swear by anything without swearing by him. You can't make a promise on any piece of creation without invoking the judgment of the creator. They'd lost sight of God's credentials. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere. And sometimes we need the Son to remind us. First reason Jesus gives for not taking oaths is because he says his father's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Next, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 36. He said, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. The second reason Jesus gives for not taking oaths is because his father is sovereign. His father is sovereign. You know, there's a really sharp contrast in the scriptures when it comes to uh, us making promises and God making promises. Like in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus essentially tells us, hey, don't make any promises. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we're told all the promises of God are yes and amen. And the idea is this, we are not supposed to make any promises because we have no idea what the future holds. But God fulfills every single one of his promises because he's the one who holds the future. When we make promises, we are working from a place of assumed sovereignty. When God makes promises, he is working from a place of true sovereignty. This is what I mean. Like, if I tell you, uh, yeah, I, I promise you I'll do that thing for you in the future. 
I promise you I'll be there. I promise you this is how things are going to play out. I don't even know if I'm going to wake up in the morning. How can I make that promise? But the Bible tells us that God knows our beginning and our end. Like he knows the number of hairs uh, that are on our head. Um, It probably goes without saying, uh, but I'm from the country, okay? Uh, Grew up in Mainville. People sometimes tell me I have an accent. I embrace it. I'm here for it, okay? But uh, part of growing up in the country is that when you grow up in the country, they're all kind of like redneck sayings. You know, just like these silly things that people say. And some of them uh, make really good sense. Some of them don't. And so you have to kind of pick through them and hold on to the ones that, that do. But one of the things that my mom used to say um, that I really liked, and she almost, she almost always used it when she was talking about, like, doing something in the future. Uh, or if somebody was asking her to do something in the future. She would say this. She would say, uh, if the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. If the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. How many of y'all have heard that saying before? Yeah, it's a uh, Jerry Reed had a song that he wrote in the 50s. Uh, it says, good Lord willing and the creek stays down. I think that's the name of the song. But that's the way, that, that was something that my mom always used to say. And let me give you an example of, of what it worked like. So uh, how she would use it, at least, is we would go uh, over to my grandparents every Sunday. We would go to their house and visit with them. This is my mom's parents. And when we would be getting ready to, to leave my grandparents' house, uh, I would be leaving that place looking like a, like a chubby little Langston, right? And I, I would have a handful of candy corn, you know? And I'm like leaving with a smile on my face. And my mom would be going behind us. And uh, my mamma Bud would, I don't know why we called her mamma Bud. My mamma Bud would say to my mom when we were leaving, hey, I'll see you next Sunday. And my mom would say back to her, if the good Lord's willing. And the creek don't run. If the good Lord's willing, and the creek goes. And I love, I love this saying. And the reason I love it so much is because it does away with assumed sovereignty. Like this was my mom's way of saying, you know, if God wills something different, we might not be here next Sunday. I plan to be here next Sunday. But if the creek really does rise and we're unable to get to your house, then it might be a couple of weeks before we get back. I think we need to bring a version of this saying, like back into, uh, back into our vernacular, at least some variation of it. Now, anytime I talk about these old country sayings, I feel bad for uh, our Haitian friends who watch us every Sunday on, on video. You know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I was up here preaching, uh, our, my friend Samuel, who's been here visiting with us a number of times, Samuel texted me during the service, uh, mind you, and the text just said, I see you, buddy. I see you, but That's all he said. He said, my video, I see you, buddy. Uh, Samuel actually, this past week, just became a new dad. Do we have a picture of his baby girl that we can put up? Yeah, congratulations, Samuel. Uh, this is his, uh, yeah. You can't, that's her, that's her shirt. Be easier to see in the dark. You can take it down. Shirt says, God keeps his promises. I love that. You can pull it off. That's good. We, I think we cut her head off. So, so I used to feel bad for, for Samuel um, and our buddies watching uh, there in Haiti because I can just see Samuel this morning like sitting at his house in Belle Oak in a rocking chair, like rocking his sweet baby girl, uh, Amanda Amy Dumont, and he's rocking her and he's like got the phone up and he's watching her listening to me preach and in his mind he is trying to translate the word crick to Creole, you know? 
And he's like, I don't think there's a per like English dictionary. I mean, what's this have to do with a person's neck? Like having a crack? I don't, this, this makes no sense. And so uh, Samuel, if you are watching, I'm going to talk, talk to Samuel just for a moment, if y'all would allow me to, okay? Uh, Samuel, this is what I want to say to you. So I think I can make this thing make sense, okay? You know how you sometimes, you and Hippolyte sometimes take uh, food to the widows in Les Anglais. And you know how sometimes when you get to Les Anglais to get there, you have to go through a, a river. Like you have to go into the river and drop through and come out on the other side. And you know how somehow the river's up and your trucks won't make it through the river so you can't get to them. What I think Jesus is saying in this text and what I think my mom's saying means is don't make promises to those widows that a rising river might prevent you from keeping. Don't act like you're in control of things that you're not in control over. Because if you make those promises and you're unable to fill them, that's going to lead you to cower. That's going to have a negative effect on your relationship, both with God and, be with, those, and with those widows. Our job, Samuel, your job, is to do the work and let God run the world. And any time we mix those two things in, we're always, we're always on the edge. We're always on the verge of making significant mistakes. Second reason Jesus gives for not taking oaths is because his father is sovereign. He, he's in control. We're not. He's on the throne. We're not. Consistently need to be reminded of those things. Then this is the last one. Lastly, in Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said this. He said, let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. The last reason Jesus gives us for not making oaths is he wants us to stop making deals with the devil. Last reason he gives us for not making oaths is that he wants us to stop making deals with the devil. The author Eberhard Arnold said this in his book Salt and Light. He said, we must wrestle with the question of compromise because it comes up everywhere and concerns serious-minded people again and again. Behind it, the fundamental problem of life lies dormant, the question of evil and death. Evil and death are so oppressive that goodness and life are constantly threatened with falling victim to them. But it is frightening to see an increasing apathy and compromise with darkness. An avoidance of the either or of life and death. Church, listen, there can be no compromise with evil. You say, Brock, how do we, how do we make deals with the devil? How, how are we compromising with darkness? Well, let me explain it to you. I, I think we do it every time we rationalize our own bad decisions. I think Satan has a way of trying to convince us that lessening our sin is the same way as being saved from our sin, but it's absolutely not. Let me give you some examples. Sometimes I think it, it works like this. These are the ways that I think, some of the ways that I think we make deals with the devil. It's when, you know, we tell ourselves things like this, I, I never get to do anything for me. And so, it should be okay for me to indulge this bad behavior. You know, it works like this. You know, I, I, would never, I would never cheat on my wife, or I would never cheat on my husband. But maybe it's okay for me to send this flirty text message. I mean, I, I'm just being 
playful. Or we go, you know, I'm honest in my everyday life. I'm honest with my church friends. Um, but sometimes I have to be a little dishonest at, at work. But that's okay because that's how I pay the bills. And everybody who's in my industry is a little bit dishonest. Like it's a, that sometimes you just have to cut some corners. It's okay for me to do this thing because I know a lot of people who do way worse things than this. I work really hard during the day. And so it's okay for me to be able to indulge this one addiction at night. Church, who do you think you're conversing with when you're walking through that rationale? It's certainly not the Spirit. It's not Jesus. Like, Jesus is never going to be like, yeah, send the girl the text message. Yeah, it's okay to lie, but, but tell the truth at church, but it's okay to lie in your business. No, that, that's ridiculous. I believe that when we're, we're working through that process, we are making compromises with the devil. And one of the approaches is the devil does this thing where he wants to convince us, look, your sin is so small that you don't need rescue. And what Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount is to shine a light on even all of our smaller sins so he can be our rescuer. Too many of us are asking the wrong questions. You know, we're going, well, how close can I get to this line without crossing it? When the better question is, how far can the cross get me away from this line? Too many of us, when it comes to kingdom things, we, we think to ourselves, you know, well, what can I get away with? When the better question is, what brings a smile to my king's face? It's not about shrinking your sin. It's about being rescued from it. Three reasons Jesus gives us for not taking oaths. Reason number one is because his father's omnipresent. Reason number two, because he is sovereign. Reason number three is because he wants us to stop making deals with the devil. Church, it is true. You leave here today, you're not going to be able to go out there and grab all the feathers and put them back into the pillow, but you can change how you speak and the things that you say from this day on. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, we are so grateful uh, for uh, your word, both the scriptures and your word that is Christ. It is your word that should equip us to keep our word. God, I pray you would forgive us for the ways that we have neglected or forgot your credentials, forgot how good you are, how powerful you are, um, how you are all over all and in all and work through all. God, I know that these people, they've got skin like I do, and so they've made some mistakes. They've said some things that they wish they could have could unsay. And I know that's not true, but forgiveness is possible because of the cross. Remind us this morning that because of your power and the power of your son, we don't have to cower. We don't have to hide. Intimacy is always available to us because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.